This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Due to the graphic nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. And clearly, Chancellor Hitler will prove a wise and effective leader. Truly an inspiration to this country. I'm sure that prediction will suit you, eh, Heldorf? I never doubted it. And now, who's up for some mind reading? Maybe... Is that Maria Podler I see, star of the Berlin stage? Would you be up for helping me? Well, I suppose. What do I do? Just sit there. I need your total concentration. Total concentration. <laughs> Sorry, I'm concentrating. Total concentration. Total concentration. Now, what do you see? Do you see red? Red circles? I do. Red circles. Could they be flames? Flames coming from a big house? I suppose, yes. Red flames. A great house collapsing under a fire? Yes! I... (gasps) She fainted. The poor woman! Help her! On February 26, 1933, clairvoyant Eric Jan Hanussen held a party to celebrate the completion of his lavish new apartment, one of several he had throughout the city. The next day's papers were full of stories about the party's revelries, including Hanussen's odd prediction that a great house would be destroyed by fire. Less than a month after that prediction, Hanussen would be dead. And many point to his prediction of a house in flames as the reason he was murdered. This is Unsolved Murders, true crime stories on the Paracast Network. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. This is our final episode on Eric Jan Hanussen, the German psychic that captivated audiences in 1930s Berlin, only to be mysteriously driven off by armed men one night before a performance. You can listen to previous episodes of Unsolved Murders, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network. Some listeners have been asking how they can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review, wherever you're listening. (laughs) 
On April 7, 1933, Eric Jan Hanussen's body was discovered in the woods south of Berlin, two weeks after he was last seen alive. By then, he was unrecognizable. He had been shot and scavenged by wild animals. Luckily, Hanussen's tailor had sewn his and Hanussen's name into his jacket. But for added confidence in his identification, police brought several of his employees to the morgue. It can't have been an easy job. We think it's him, but you understand the body has been in the woods for some time. I understand. It may be hard for you to recognize. I... I'm ready. (gasps) That's him. That's Eric. Who could have done this? That's what we're going to find out. I have every faith in you, Count Haldorf. I certainly know that Eric did. News of Hanussen's death was covered in papers around the world, including Australia and the United States. Surprisingly, the story didn't get much coverage in Germany. The Nazi minister of propaganda, Josef Goebbels, did give it a brief mention in his newspaper, Der and Griff. Incidentally, Der and Griff translates to the attack, which may give you a sense of the newspaper's general tone. Goebbels wrote, The body of a Jew was found in an evergreen grove on the road from Bayreuth to Neuhof. He had been shot to death. His face was unrecognizable. At the morgue, he was identified as Hermann Steinschneider, who under the name Hanussen had a certain vogue in Berlin as a clairvoyant. The story was rather dismissive of the crime, and the police's approach to the murder was equally dismissive. There wasn't much of an investigation, and rumors later spread that the Nazis had discouraged officers from looking into Hanussen's case, possibly under orders from Goebbels himself. This lack of a formal investigation only helped rumors and theories about his death spread around Berlin. After all, Hanussen was rich and famous, and he was not shy about crossing paths and making enemies. At a glance, the list of suspects was relatively long. Could it have been one of his former clients? Someone who was unhappy with the prediction Hanussen had made? Or perhaps a jealous lover. Hanussen was notorious for dating numerous chorus girls who had no shortage of gossip and tales about his sexual prowess. One person who was off the hook was his old rival, strongman Zisha Breitbart. While they were both performers in Vienna back in the 1920s, Hanussen had stolen Breitbart's act. They'd sued each other for slander in a court case that resulted in Hanussen being kicked out of Austria. But Breitbart couldn't have been a suspect because in July 1925, Breitbart had been performing in Berlin when his act went horribly wrong. See, these thick oak boards, strong and sturdy, but not as strong as I. Watch as I pound these iron spikes through them with just my bare hands. Ah! Ah, my knee! Ah. Get us out! Get us out! Ah! As part of his act, Breitbart had pounded a metal spike through an inch of oak with just his bare hands. Unfortunately, he'd pounded it right into his knee. Even worse, the spike was rusty. Soon, 
Breitbart had contracted blood poisoning. Breitbart's manager insisted he continue to perform, but his infection grew worse. He was rushed to a hospital and his leg was amputated. After enduring 10 more operations, he died in October 1925. So Breitbart was out. But who else had a reason to want Hanussen dead? Well, for obvious reasons, most theories point to the Nazis as the primary culprits. After all, Nazi stormtroopers had driven him away at gunpoint on the last night that he was seen alive. In fact, some accounts say that he was kidnapped by Nazi troops twice on the same day. So if the Nazis were responsible, which Nazi official ordered Hanussen's murder and why? We know Hanussen was close to Wolf Heinrich von Heldorf, the head of the Berlin branch of the Nazis' paramilitary force, the Sturmabteilung, commonly known as the SA. Heldorf and Hanussen met at a party in Hanussen's Palace of the Occult. Until only a few days before Hanussen's death, Heldorf had been chief of the Berlin police. Well, his full name was Wolf Heinrich Julius Otto Bernard Fritz Hermann Ferdinand Graf von Heldorf. Wow. Graf was actually his title, the German equivalent of Count. Like Hanussen, Heldorf had served in the German army in World War I, and given his aristocratic background and connections, he became an officer and a lieutenant. After the war, he'd served several terms in the Prussian parliament. In 1924, Heldorf joined the National Socialist Freedom Party. At the time, this party was not the same as the Nazi party. In fact, membership in the Nazi party had been made illegal after Hitler tried to seize power during the Beer Hall Putsch in 1923. With Nazism outlawed, the National Socialist Freedom Party continued the Nazis' goals through less obvious methods. And when the Nazi party was made legal again in 1925, they joined forces with the NSFP, and Heldorf became a Nazi. By 1931, he was working as the leader of the Berlin chapter of the Nazis' paramilitary wing, the Sturmabteilung. Heldorf was outgoing and popular. Many people were drawn to him, including Adolf Hitler. However, Heldorf did have one major flaw. Apart from being a Nazi, he was a compulsive gambler and constantly in debt. Luckily, a wealthy clairvoyant named Eric Jan Hanussen had full pockets and was always there to help. Eldorf, good to see you. Champagne? Of course. I hope you're ready for tonight's festivities. I think I've outdone myself. I've designed an erotic tableau with so many young... I can't wait to see it, Eric. But I've had a bit of bad luck. And I need to ask a favor. Ah, how much? 300 Reichsmarks. No problem. You don't have to tell me why, but I'm curious... I bought a new Mercedes and, uh... Forgot to pay for it. Ha! Of course you did. Look, you really don't need to tie yourself up in worrying about little amounts like that. Just fill out an IOU. Here we go. I'll add it to the pile. Now, I don't want to hear anything more about it. Especially tonight. Now, about this tableau. I've got ten chorus girls rehearsing as we speak. Heldorf was constantly racking up debt. Sometimes it was to pay for a forgotten car or to cover his mother's rent. But Hanussen was always willing to loan Heldorf money. After all, Hanussen was an opportunist, and he was rich enough to afford it. He'd gladly trade away money for influence with the Nazi elite. And so he just added each IOU to his growing pile of Heldorf's debt. 
In exchange, Heldorf introduced Hanussen to the Nazi leadership, particularly those in charge of the SA. With Hanussen holding a huge debt over Heldorf, the clairvoyant had plenty of sway over the Nazi officer, and Hanussen occasionally bragged about this influence. And it wasn't just Heldorf's debts. Hanussen had loaned money to other Nazi officials, including Ernst Ruhm, the head of the entire SA. He'd also given money to the party itself to help its efforts in taking control of Germany. The Nazis definitely needed money. They'd spent most of their money funding campaigns during the election of July 1932, which had made the Nazis the largest single party in the German parliament, or Reichstag. The SA even resorted to fundraising drives and endorsement deals on consumer products like butter and razor blades. They'd slap a swastika on just about anything if it would help fund the party. In fact, officials were so strapped for cash that they had Hanussen pay for a new car for SA troops. This may have even been the car they used to drive him on his final ride. There's no way to be sure. Although his ties to the party grew deeper with each and every loan, he was always at risk running with the Nazis. Hanussen was Jewish. The Nazi party, as we know, was distinctly anti-Semitic. Though Hanussen worked hard to keep his lineage a secret, Rumors were starting to emerge. Even a clairvoyant and practiced mentalist like Hanussen couldn't keep the truth about his heritage from surfacing. We'll hear just how damaging this truth was after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. In the early 1930s, clairvoyant Eric Jan Hanussen was embedding himself as the financial backbone of the Nazi party. In particular, he had a strong relationship with Count Heldorf, chief of the Berlin sector of the Sturmabteilung. However, this relationship was complicated by Hanussen's Jewish ancestry. Remember, Hanussen was born Hermann Steinschneider, and after reinventing himself as Eric Jan Hanussen, he'd hid his Jewish heritage for years. Hanussen's Jewish ancestry seemed to be common knowledge amongst his friends, but how much the Nazis knew was open to debate. Starting in the early 1930s, the communist papers in Berlin had been targeting Hanussen. It was one of the reasons Hanussen had allied himself with the Nazis in the first place. The editor of the leftist paper, Berlin am Morgen, Bruno Frey took a special dislike to Hanussen, and in 1932, he ran the headline. The charlatan conquers Berlin. We expose the swindler, clairvoyant, Eric Jan Hanussen. Frey took the opportunity to also take a swipe at the Nazis, referring to Hanussen as Hitler's spiritual father. The attacks pushed Hanussen further into the Nazi camp. He even brought Nazi troopers in from the SA to replace his personal bodyguards. But soon, Fry made a charge that was much more troubling to the Nazis, that Hanussen was secretly Jewish. The rumor had been floating around Berlin. 
supposedly originating from chorus girls who noted Hanusen was circumcised. And to those around Hanusen, it was an open secret that he was Jewish, although he continued to deny it publicly. On August 14, 1932, Fry ran an expose about Hanusen's secret origins. In it, Fry charged that Hitler, the man who had raved about the international Jewish conspiracy, was actually being secretly advised by a Jew. It even specified that Hanusen was the nephew of a rabbi from a Czech village named Prosnitz. Fry even went so far as to send a letter to Josef Goebbels, the head of Nazi propaganda, charging that Hanusen was Jewish. Goebbels then ran the story in his daily propaganda paper, Der Angriff, where he referred to Hanusen as the Czech Jew. As you can imagine, this was hard for Hanusen's Nazi patron, Count Heldorf, to hear. Hanusen, what is this? Heldorf, how much is it this time? Did you rent another apartment and forget to pay for it? Is it true? What they're saying? What is who saying? I can't keep track of all the people discussing me at the moment. Gables is claiming that you're secretly a Jew. Is that true? What? Where did he hear that? I bet it was Fry. He's had it in for me since- Who cares who's behind it? Is it true? Are you really Heinrich Steinschneider? No, of course not. He says he has a record of your passport under that name. Well, yes, that's my passport. But Steinschneider is my adopted name. You were adopted? Yes. I was adopted by a Jewish family, but that doesn't make me Jewish. What does it make you? Dutch, actually. My parents were Danish. Nobles, of course. They died in a mountain climbing accident in Moravia. And after their death, I was taken in by a Jewish couple in a nearby village named Prosnitz. A nearby village? That's a bit hard to believe. Then believe this. Here are my adoption papers. These rumors have been swirling around for long enough. I tracked down my original paperwork. Stein Schneider. Uh, these look authentic. I'm sorry I doubted you. I understand. This isn't the first time people have accused me of such things. My adoptive family did leave some traces. I do speak some Yiddish, and I've always had quite an affinity for the Jewish people. I hope you'll give me some aid in clearing up this confusion. Of course. I'll do what I can. Heldorf spread the word, informing a skeptical Goebbels of Hanusen's paperwork, and Hanusen's story worked. On December 13, 1932, Der Angriff printed a retraction, saying that Eric Jan Hanusen was not, in fact, Jewish. Hanusen also brought a defamation lawsuit against Fry and his publisher. That finally got the articles to stop. And with that, it looked like Hanusen had dealt with a problem. He was back in the Nazis' good graces. For now. Except that there were other ways in which Hanusen might have been rubbing the Nazi party the wrong way, in a much more scandalous manner. Of course, we do not know the veracity of these rumors, but they come from various reputable sources. An article in the Syracuse Herald newspaper dated May 14, 1933, was headlined, Bullets and Amazing Career of Hanusen, Germany's Rasputin. But it's one of the article's subheadlines that really gets your attention. Brown shirts turned against him when blackmailing photographers snapped scenes of housewarming orgy. 
The article described how Hanussen had bought a new house in March of 1933, one of several he owned in Berlin. Of course, he threw a party to celebrate. It was a particularly lavish party, and he invited notable guests like German horror writer Hans Avers, also described as a pornography writer, and of course, Hanussen's favorite count. Heldorf, get over here. Your hand is dangerously empty. Hanussen, I think you have topped even yourself. I can see things happening in this room that I could not even imagine. That is my job, Heldorf, to imagine that which even a great man like you could not. Now enjoy yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, please I hope you will enjoy my house, especially those of you esteemed guests of the Reich. Everything is on the menu, and everyone is on the menu. Please, enjoy! Now, take as many pictures as you can. I want to savor this evening. The evening, no doubt helped by a constant tide of champagne, devolved into a drunken orgy. While many of the guests might have trouble remembering the party the next day, Hanussen made sure to hire a photographer to document the event. Now, this wasn't anything too out of the ordinary for Hanussen. Rumors of rampant sex, drugs, and liquor at his parties were the talk of Berlin. And it probably would have continued to be just a rumor if it weren't for an envelope that arrived three days later on the desk of Adolf Hitler. Heldorf! Sir? Look at this! What are these? French postcards? No, they are my top lieutenants. This envelope was delivered to me this morning. And apart from these pictures of some of my top men doing unspeakable things, it also contained a note demanding a hundred thousand marks for the negatives of these pictures. What do you have to say about this? I don't know anything about this. Then that is not you? There? Oh. Oh yes, wait. Wait, that looks like Hanussen's place. That soothsayer? Of course he's involved. He's probably behind this plot. No, he would never do that. And he has no need to blackmail anyone. He has all the marks he needs. Then who else was there? Who would have had these photos? I'm not sure. To be honest, I'm not even sure which party this was. They all kind of blur together. What are you going to do? Do? I'm going to pay. I can't afford the scandal of my men being exposed like this. But you have to decide what you're going to do about Hanussen. Hitler paid the money. He couldn't afford the bad publicity. Heldorf was furious, so he confronted Hanussen in his palace of the occult. I can't believe you. You let those photos get out. I'm sorry. I don't know how that happened. He was furious with me. You put me in this situation. If it's the money, I'll pay him. You are a Jew, aren't you? The rumors are true, aren't they? I told you, I'm Dutch. From Hanussen? Yes, I am. He gave me an ultimatum. He said I either had to break with you, or leave Berlin. You're not going, are you? No, I'm not. Goodbye, Hanussen. Heldorf left. The next day, Hanussen was confronted by a number of Nazi officers who took him for a ride. Nobody knew where he went until he appeared a few days later, beaten and with his clothes in rags. He secretly went to a clinic to get his wounds looked at. There's no easy way to put this. Then go ahead. I know what you're going to say anyway. Of course. Your nose is broken. 
I'm going to have to reset it. Do your worst. One, two, three. Oh! There we are. Much better. Now, are you sure you don't want me to call the police? The police? Ha! No, doctor. Just clean up what you can. Anything you can do to make traveling less, um, uncomfortable. I'm heading out to Paris soon. Paris? Let me tell you, doctor. I predict terrible days ahead for Germany. Days of violence, of pain. And I'm glad I can get out while I can. You should get out too. We all should. Hanusen was in pain, and maybe he was just letting off steam. He'd had a pretty terrible time of it. But Heldorf and the Nazi High Command soon heard about his complaints to the doctor. And according to the article, that was when Hanusen was visited again by the Nazi stormtroopers on March 24th. He was carted off, this time, for the last time. The article paints an entertaining story and makes a compelling argument that Hanusen was killed due to these photographs. But how credible was it? We can't be sure. It was written by Pierre van Passen, a respected Dutch journalist who'd written about Hanusen for Red Book. We don't know his sources, but he definitely wasn't some kook pushing conspiracy theories for attention. Although we don't know exactly how involved Hanusen was with the operations of the Nazi party, we do know that he was in deep with the party's members and knew its inner workings. That knowledge may have led Hanusen to become arrogant about how much sway he held over his Nazi friends. That's the theory writer Arthur J. Magada suggests led to Hanusen's death in his book, The Nazi Seance, the strange story of the Jewish psychic in Hitler's circle. Magada writes that in February 1933, Hanusen was running low on money. A theater owner stiffed him on an advance, saying he didn't think Hanusen would bring in enough audience members to justify the payment. When Hanusen threatened to walk, the owner pointed out that wouldn't be good for his professional reputation. After all, shouldn't a psychic have known that he was going to be swindled and refuse the deal in the first place? Hanusen was thus stuck and desperate for money. Hanusen tried making more money by turning his newspaper from a weekly to a daily, a move which only angered his main competitor, Der Angriff, the daily pro-Nazi paper, written by propaganda minister Josef Goebbels. And so when he saw an opportunity to take money with his inside knowledge of the Nazi party, he took it. The opportunity came from one of the largest and wealthiest publishers in Germany, the Mosa Publishing Empire. Mosa controlled a publishing house and two large liberal newspapers, the Frankfurter Zeitung and the Berliner Tageblatt. The Mosa family was Jewish and had fled from Germany when Hitler became chancellor in January of 1933. The company was left in the hands of the company manager, Karl Vetter. The Nazis wanted control of that empire and offered Vetter two million marks for their publishing house. So, Vetter turned to Hanusen for advice. What do you think? Two million is a lot. Two million is not a bad price, but you can do better. Look. What are these? IOUs. Heldorfs, mostly. But you'd be surprised how many other SA men are in that pile. Mention these to the Nazis and tell them you want six million. I don't understand. They don't want anyone to know that they're in debt, especially to someone like me. And what do you get out of this? We'll split the take. You'll still get more than two million. How does that sound? And the Mosas? They're in Paris. They'll be happy with any trifle you send them. It was a plan that might have worked if Vetter could be trusted. But unfortunately, 
Vetter went to the one person Hanusen never thought he would go to. Count Heldorf, I won't take up much of your time. I just wanted to give you this. A check for 10,000 marks? I don't understand. It's a gift. I heard you were short on money. And where did you hear that? Oh, Hanusen. He suggested that you didn't want anyone to know that you were bankrolled by someone of his faith. He even suggested I use this information to increase my asking price for the publishing house. But I thought a more honest approach was better. I can't believe he'd do that to me. I'm done with him. Instead of dealing with Vetter, the Nazis contacted the head of the Mosa company, Hans Lachmann Mosa, and convinced him to come back to Germany from Paris to talk to them about buying the company. But while Mosa was expecting a negotiation, he found himself confronted by an SA major named Wilhelm Ost, who forced Mosa to sign over the company at gunpoint. And that was on March 21, 1933, three days before Eric Jan Hanussen would disappear forever. We'll find out if the Mosa scandal was a part of Hanussen's death after a brief message. Now, back to the story. On March 24, 1933, three days after the Nazis forcefully took over the Mosa publishing empire, SA soldiers grabbed Hanussen on the way to his performance. The soldiers demanded Hanussen give them the IOUs he'd collected from Heldorf and other Nazis. Hanussen refused, and he was driven to Papastrasse prison, where the clairvoyant offered to exchange the IOUs for the money he was owed. The Nazis refused. When Hanussen was released later that night, he went home to find his apartment had been ransacked. Not sure what to do, he called his ex-wife Elfrida for advice. She was actually his third ex-wife. They divorced the year before in 1932, but he still turned to her for advice. He was on the phone with her when SA Major Wilhelm Ost arrived with more stormtroopers. I don't know what to do, Fritzi. Should I get a lawyer? I think you should. Fritzi? Fritzi? Hanussen, you're under arrest. My dear Ost, that cannot be true. Don't make jokes like that when I've helped you so many times. Where are the papers? They're in my study. My boy can get them. Get the papers from the safe. I'm so sorry we have to do this. You've helped me plenty, but I have my orders. Here they are. Just take them and go. Heldorf, Heldorf, von Emin, good, good. This is all of them? I swear, this is all of them. I believe you. Take him. I gave you what you want! I'm sorry, Eric. I have my orders. The orders came from the new leader of the SA in Berlin, Karl Ernst. Ost and Ernst had met earlier that day to decide what to do about Hanussen. While Ost had argued that Hanussen deserved mercy, Ernst wanted him dealt with, especially in light of reports that Hanussen had been bragging that he had bribed some top Nazi officials, Heldorf, Ost, and Ernst himself. According to the theory put forth by author Arthur Magida, it was Ernst who gave the order for Hanussen to be dealt with. And so, for the second time that day, Hanussen found himself dragged out to Papastrasse prison. This time, the troopers shot him in the abdomen, neck, and head. They drove his body outside of Berlin and dumped it in the woods. Once again, this theory seems relatively logical, 
but we are lacking significant evidence to say for sure. A particular problem we run into when looking at the troubling case of Eric Jan Hanussen is that we don't know just how deeply involved in the Nazi party he was. Some have claimed he was on the periphery, a loyal, wealthy patron who liked to throw lavish parties. But some say that Hanussen had a close relationship with Adolf Hitler himself. Just how close they might have gotten has been heavily debated over the years, but it certainly would have been in Hanussen's best interest to ally himself with Hitler. Keep in mind that when Hanussen started allying himself with Heldorf in March 1932, the Nazis weren't in control of Germany. It wouldn't be until that year's July elections that the Nazis would become the largest party in the German parliament even if they were still not in control of the government. But when Hanussen started working his way into the Nazi hierarchy, the Nazis still needed allies, and they could certainly find a use for the skills of a popular and charismatic entertainer like Hanussen. Ah, Adolf, permit me to introduce Eric Jan Hanussen, soothsayer. Ah, Hanussen, I've heard so much about you. The pleasure is mine. I read the articles you've written about me in your paper. I can't help but be flattered. I am merely relating the future I have seen. A glorious future. And I appreciate you communicating what you have seen. And I was wondering if you could help bring that about. I've heard about your skills in speaking and presentations. They say you're very moving. The crowds do seem to enjoy it. Could you perhaps teach these skills? Really? I'd I'd be honored. American papers were filled with reports of Hanussen as Hitler's private soothsayer. Hanussen's magazine was even referred to as a state magazine, full of predictions about how the Nazi regime would conquer the world. And U.S. officials also believed that Hanussen had not only met with Hitler, but had even trained Hitler in speaking and oration. The Office of Strategic Services, the U.S. intelligence agency that was the predecessor of the CIA, prepared a psychological analysis of Hitler in the early 1940s. The author, psychoanalyst Walter Langer, said his info on Hanussen came from prominent early Nazi party member Otto Strasser, specifically. According to Strasser, During the early 1920s, Hitler took regular lessons in speaking and in mass psychology from a man named Hamison, who also was a practicing astrologer and fortune teller. Now, Langer did say Hamison, but that's probably a typo, as he does call him Hanussen later on. Also, Langer's timing was off, as Hanussen hadn't reached Berlin until 1930. Langer's source, Otto Strasser, wasn't a huge fan of Hitler. Strasser had left the party in 1930, but his brother George had stayed, only to be one of the many Nazi leaders killed during Hitler's infamous Night of the Long Knives purge in 1934. So Strasser had reason to make Hitler seem weak by receiving public speaking training from a psychic of all people. Nevertheless, the OSS certainly believed Hanussen had trained Hitler to become the charismatic leader that would captivate the German people. Hitler and Hanussen did have some common ground. They'd both left home to pursue an artistic career, and they'd both served in the German military during World War I. But just how close Hitler and Hanussen were, no one can say. Many people over the years believed that Hanussen had trained Hitler. According to Mel Gordon, a biographer of Hanussen, he gave Hitler private lessons in speaking throughout 1932 and became his personal astrologer. 
In return, Hitler promised Hanussen a government post and a directorship of an Aryan College of the Occult Arts. And that close alliance might have given Hanussen inside info that he could use for himself. Secrets that no one in the Nazi party wanted the German public to know. On January 30, 1933, Hitler secured himself the title of Reich Chancellor of Germany, but he still wasn't in charge of the country. Sure, the Nazis were one of the largest and strongest parties in the German parliament, but ultimate control of the government still lay in the hands of President Hindenburg. If Hitler and the Nazis were going to gain control of the government, they needed to do something big. Hitler started to make his move in February 1933. On February 22nd, he used his powers to have 50,000 Nazi troopers enrolled as auxiliary police. On the 24th, Minister of the Interior, Hermann Göring, ordered a raid on the Communist Party headquarters, where he falsely claimed to have found evidence of a communist plot to attack government buildings. On February 26th, Erich Jan Hanussen threw his apartment warming party. Like many of his parties, it featured plenty of drugs, sex, and Hanussen showing off for the crowd. These parties often included seances held by Hanussen, in which he would predict the future of his guests and the country. And it was during that seance that Hanussen made his predictions. Now, what do you see? Do you see red? Red circles? I do. Red circles. Could they be flames? Flames coming from a big house? I suppose, yes. Red flames. A great house collapsing under a fire? Yes, I... (gasps) The next day, on February 27th, many of Berlin's papers covered the party and Hanussen's predictions. It seemed like just another prediction until that night, when someone set the Reichstag, the building that housed the German parliament, on fire. This was the excuse Hitler needed to spread fear of a massive communist uprising, one that only the Nazis could fight. Police arrested a Dutch construction worker, Marinus van der Lubbe, at the scene of the arson. He was found with fire lighters in his pockets. A few hours later, on February 28, 1933, President Hindenburg signed the Decree of the Reich President for the Protection of the People and State. The decree suspended civil rights on German citizens, revoking their rights to free speech, free assembly, and suspending restrictions on house searches and confiscation. This was all justified as defending the country from communist acts of violence. That night, an estimated 4,000 people were arrested by Nazi stormtroopers, including many communist members of parliament. Hitler finally had the government control he wanted. Marinus van der Lubbe was charged with arson, along with the leader of the parliament's communist party, Ernst Togler, and three other communists. However, many were already wondering if Hitler and the Nazis were actually responsible for setting the fire. It was a rumor that the Nazis wanted stopped at all costs. Unfortunately, Hanussen's prediction drew attention to the Nazis. With the Reichstag burned, Hanussen's prediction of red circles and a great house on fire took on a whole new meaning. Had Hanussen gotten advance warning about the fire? Or were the red circles just Hanussen playing into the Nazi fear of a hidden network of communists? 
Hanussen had long been saying that the Reichstag's administration under Hindenburg would fall as part of his general predictions on the rise of Hitler and the Nazis to power. This could have just been more of that. And maybe Hanussen meant metaphorical flames instead of real ones. But either way, word spread throughout Berlin that Hanussen had predicted the Reichstag fire before it happened. Which, when combined with Hanussen's ties to Nazis, only served to support theories that the Nazis themselves had set the fire. That theory gained more traction as one particular story came out about Hanussen's actions during the Reichstag fire. 20 minutes after the fire started, Franz Hollering, the editor of the liberal newspaper 12 Uhr Blatt, was napping in his office when he awoke to shouting. Ten minutes later, at 9.30, Hollering's phone rang. It was Hanussen. How much of a fire is there at the Reichstag? Hanussen, where are you calling from? From my apartment. But that's miles away. How did you hear about the fire? As a matter of fact, I want to warn you, all of you, be on your guard tonight. No one knows what may happen. The communists have set fire to the Reichstag. The communists? Ridiculous. They wouldn't dream of it. They don't want to commit suicide. Wait and see. And you better be careful. The Reichstag fire had only been happening for 30 minutes, and suddenly, Hanussen was calling to blame it on communists. How could he have known about it so quickly, without inside information? Perhaps Hanussen had heard about the plot while still in the planning stages. He was close to the Nazi regime. He could have easily overheard details of the plan discussed at one of his parties, or gotten a tip about it from one of the SA officers who were in his debt. If so, it would have been easy to use that info to make a prediction. After all, his newspaper was daily and needed as many new stories as possible. And it would have been hard to resist the temptation to make a prediction that he knew was definitely going to come true. If there was a Nazi plot to commit this arson, Hanussen's good friend and ally, Heldorf, would have likely been involved. He was Berlin's chief of police. It made sense that Hanussen could have heard it from him. And with Hanussen's ego, it seems unlikely that he could resist the temptation to use the info to bolster his reputation as a soothsayer and his fame in general. Other even more outlandish rumors started to spread. Ones that said Hanussen took an active part in the conspiracy to burn down the Reichstag. Some say that Hanussen had even used his hypnotic powers to convince Marinus van der Lubbe to carry out the act. But whether or not the Nazis were responsible for the fire, a debate that continues to this day, they certainly didn't want rumors spreading that they were behind it. And Hanussen's predictions and constant fame-seeking weren't helping. On March 20th, Goering announced that Heldorf had been dismissed as Berlin's chief of police and reassigned him to the suburb of Potsdam, where he was responsible for overseeing breeding horses. It was a huge step down and can't have helped his feelings towards Hanussen. But if the Reichstag was burned as part of a larger plan to cement Hitler's power, there's every chance that the order to kill Hanussen might have come from Hitler himself. He had the most to lose from being implicated. So, was Hanussen killed because of debts, blackmail photos, or inside knowledge of a Nazi arson conspiracy? While the orgy story is fun, I lean towards the debts theory. With the Nazis finally in charge of the country, it would have been too tempting to kill Hanussen and get everyone out from under his control. After all, who could have stopped them? 
I'm convinced the fire led to Hanussen's murder. The Reichstag fire was too convenient for the Nazis. They had to have started it themselves, and Hanussen knew it was coming. Therefore, I think Hanussen was killed by the man in charge, Adolf Hitler. We will probably never know the reason Eric Jan Hanussen was shot and left for dead in 1933. It may just be another mystery surrounding the Nazi regime that scholars will debate forever. What we do know is that Hanussen built himself up from poverty to wealth and fame, all on the strength of his performances. But in the end, it was most likely that same drive which pushed him into a situation he couldn't escape from leaving him one unrecognized German body in a pile of many. You can find Unsolved Murders and all of ParCast podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, and your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unsolved Murders is written by John Gutierrez and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Harris Markson, Steve Pinto, and Daniel Velasquez. Unsolved Murders.